Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're in a verse-by-verse series. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is written by the aged apostle, Father John, who's 90 plus when he writes the epistle. Remember this, he's the last apostle. He's the only one that wasn't martyred. He's the apostle that outlived everyone that had started with the day of Pentecost all the way through now to the turn of the century. He's the man that's going to pass the baton on to some very heavy hitter uh, spiritual fathers that will take it on from 100 AD forward. He's the man that mentored some of the great teachers and writers of all time. The Apostle John knew what it was like to be tortured. He knew what it was like to suffer. He was boiled in oil. He was sent out to Isle of Patmos in isolation. That's when he wrote the book of Revelation. Remember that John wrote 50 of the 200 plus, 260 some chapters in New Testament. John wrote 50 of those chapters. He's the writer of the Gospel of John. He's the writer of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he's the writer of the book of Revelation. He's a heavy hitter. And the apostle is a man that's going to speak to you about the Jesus he knew. The Jesus he knew was not like the Jesus anyone else knew in that day. He was the only one left that had seen Jesus in the flesh. Only one that was discipled by Jesus in the flesh. Only one that had been an inner discipleship uh, program with Jesus himself. So John is speaking from a very personal standpoint all about Jesus. Now there's two sections that we looked at the first. I'm going to go to the second one. The first section, 1 John 1, 1 through John 2, 29. I want you to write in your Bible, if you don't mind, I think taking notes in your Bible is a very good thing to do as you read through the scriptures. These things will come back to you. 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 29. The theme is God is light. Would you put that down? God is light. And in this particular part of the scripture, the Apostle John is directing his attention about walking in the light and how you know Jesus and live like Jesus. Remember, our series is Live Like Jesus, which is taken from uh, chapter 2 and verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked or to live just like Jesus lived. And that's our theme. That's what we're trying to do. How do you live like Jesus? So John begins by saying, if you know Christ and you found the real Jesus, not the Jesus of the imagination or the Jesus of the Gnostics or the Jesus that the heretics were trying to push that was a Jesus that was not supernatural incarnated, the wrong Jesus. But if you know the real Jesus, if you found the real Christ and you're walking in Christ, then you'll walk in the light. If you walk in the light, You will get rid of unethical behavior. You will not dwell in darkness. You will not allow sin to overcome you. You will not be a double-minded person. You will be a person that will have ethics. You will have obedience. You will walk in the faith. You will walk in Christ. You'll walk in the light. If you walk in darkness and you stumble, you'll confess your sin. You'll get rid of it. And so he starts by saying, if you know Christ, then you need to depart from this thing called sin. And if you depart from sin, you need to make sure that the blood of Jesus cleanses you and that the Holy Spirit in you gives you the capacity, the ability to overcome. And that was the last message on overcoming as a believer. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when you draw from that Holy Spirit power and anointing, you should be able to overcome the world, overcome the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, overcome those things that come against you because the anointing in you breaks those things 
things off your life because now you're walking in the light. You're walking in truth. You're embracing obedience. Now, he moves from that section to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18 is the next section. 1 John 3, 18. And at the top of 1 John 3, just write the words, God is love. 1 John 1 and 2, God is light. Everyone say, God is light. Now say, God is love. Because God is light, there's no darkness in him. There should be no darkness in you. That's his presupposition. It's very simple. Now he moves to, and God is love. Say, God is love. And if God is love, which he is, his, his nature is love. It's not that God loves. God is love. The nature of God is love. And because God is love, you are to love like him, and you're to receive his love. And so now John is going to deal with this subject of love. I want you to mark your Bible. Mark the verses. Here we go. Mark or circle the word love in 1 John 3. Are you ready? 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love. Love of the Father. First John 3 and verse 1, circle the word love, used in the first verse. Go down to verse 10. In this, the children of God, that the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love. Circle. Verse 1 is love of the Father. Verse 10, love of the brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love. Circle. Verse 11, love one another. Down to verse 14, we know that we have passed. Now, I would circle the whole verse because this is a famous verse in the New Testament. This is the verse that is quoted by many preachers and teachers, and you probably have heard it. Maybe you didn't know where it came from. It comes from right here, this chapter in love, where it says, you have passed from death to life. That is very, very definitive. There's no gray area between death and life. He says, you know, you pass between death and life. Why? Because you love the brothers, the brethren, the family of God. If you want to make it a, a term that involved both male, female, it's loving the family of God. He who does not love, circle verse 14, his brother abides in death. Now, those are pretty strong words for the apostle of love. How do you abide in death? Well, when you abide in death, it means there's something in you that cannot produce life in anyone else. If you abide in death, that means there's an atmosphere, there's something about you that will not put seed of life or seed of love or seed of future or seed of hope in anybody else because you're abiding in death. There's something dead inside of you. You haven't passed to life. And because it's dead inside of you, you can't pass any life onto someone else. And so this word love becomes a very big deal to John. Look down at verse 16. Famous verse. Famous. By this we know... Love, because he laid down his life for us. Well, of course he did. That's the cross. That's the crucifixion. That's the atonement. That's the, the whole message of the gospel. Christ died for us. But then he goes on to say, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, there's a term that puts love in definition that you have to die to self, lay down your life. And that's what love is all about. Look at verse 17. Last phrase, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, circle again, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, in action, in obedience. And then look at verse 23. This is the commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, let's go back up to verse 1, and let's look at verse 1. 
Behold. Everyone say behold. The word behold here is a word that means amazement. It's a word that means wonderment. It's a word that means I'm about ready to tell you something very important. Lean forward and listen very carefully because it's going to amaze you. It's going to make you wonder. It's going to set an atmosphere of expectation. That's what this word means. So John knows exactly where he's going because he's going to play hardball on the subject of sin in this chapter, but he's going to lay a foundation for you to handle it. So he says to his believers, imagine the aged apostle, 90 plus, preaching to this crowd of believers and writing the letter because he would have done both. And he says, now listen to me very carefully. I'm going to say something to you that will cause you to wonder, and it's going to be amazing. And if you don't listen very carefully, you will not get it. Because it's contradictory to the human mind, the human heart. It's even weird in the category of weird. You will not see what I'm saying if you don't listen with your spiritual ears. Because what I'm going to say is amazing. It's a wonder. And it's something that is supernatural. So I want you to lean forward. And I want you to listen. That's how he starts the chapter. And then he uses this Greek phrase. Not that I want to Greek you out and go too much into it. But it's important in this chapter where he says, What manner? Behold, everyone say behold. behold. Everyone say pay attention. pay attention. Now turn to your neighbor and say pay attention. pay attention. Now you pay attention. Why? What manner? It's a Greek phrase that is used to actually describe something that you will be able to imagine that you actually saw it. It's so vivid in your imagination that you will... Think that you actually saw the thing that's going to be described. What manner? But what's going to be described is coming from a source and a sort of thing that you can't comprehend. And so he says, now, behold, I want you to listen very carefully, because the manner of what I'm going to say to you about, and the Greek starts with the verb first, for the love of God. He says, what I'm going to say to you right now is a sort and a, and a source and an idea that you will not grasp. But don't worry about it, because I'm going to, I'm going to describe it to you, and I'm going to define it. When the angel came to Mary, and the angel says to Mary, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, and you're that virgin. You will not know man, but the seed of God will actually come into you, and you will bring forth a child, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be the Savior of the world. It's Mary that steps back and says, what manner of greeting is this? It's the same Greek phrase. What manner? Where did you come from? What are you talking about? That has never happened before. There's no way to comprehend it. I cannot receive this greeting. What are you talking about? I mean, I can by faith, but what manner, what, what source, what sort, what, what kind of thinking is this? That was what Mary responded to the angel, and that's how you will respond when you hear John talk about love. When you hear John talk about love, the true love, the love that he's going to define and teach us, you will say, impossible. What source are you coming from? How in the world do you think this can happen? So John says, what manner, even though I know that you're going to question what I'm going to say, because it's not earthly, it's not human, it's not normal, it's not natural, it's going to be weird to your thinking. Nevertheless, I want you to listen very carefully. Then he drops in the phrase... What manner of love? Of the Father. Not the Son, not the Spirit, not the Scripture, 
Not love, just love as an emotion. He says, the love of the Father. So John is dealing with a fatherhood doctrine. He's dealing with the heart of God as a father. He's going to deal with the church as children. He's going to deal with the whole corporate gathering as family. And so he's bringing this thing into a community authenticity that is greatly uh, important for him, for them to see that what I'm talking about is the family of God, and you have to understand the very heart of your father. Because what I'm going to say to you as a family is very difficult. And if you don't understand the love of the father, you're going to miss me dealing with some of these other statements. So it says, the love of the Father. Now let's stop right there. You're writing in your Bible, and you know the word, but just make sure you do circle the word love there, and then write, right above it, agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape. Agape. Not phileo, not eros, not storge. Three other Greek words you can use for love. Emotional love. Family, you know, between sister and sister, brother and brother love, phileo, brotherhood, Philadelphia, brotherhood love. He doesn't talk about eros, storge, phileo. He says, I want to talk to you about agape. Because agape love is the only love that God uses. That's the only way to understand God. And this is the long and short of agape. Agape love is a love of the will that is bestowed upon a person and it doesn't matter how the person responds. Agape demands no response. Agape demands no measuring stick. Agape demands no performance. It doesn't ask for anything in return. It doesn't bargain it doesn't say, I will do this for you. If you serve me, I will love you. If you give to me, I will love you. If you go to the mission field, I will love you. If you witness to people, I will love you. I want something out of the deal. In the human heart, we always want something out of the deal. We want something to come back to us. If we love someone, we have an expectation they should respond in a certain way. Whether it's a child or a spouse or a friend or a church or a job or a boss or whatever. If we pour our life into someone and they never give back. They never acknowledge we did anything for them. They never ever return a thank you or any kind of a response that they even acknowledge that we poured out such a sacrifice for them. We can become offended to them. That is not agape love. Agape love does not ask you for anything. Nothing. It does not require you to become anything. You can't win it, you can't buy it, you can't bargain it, you can't beg it, and you can't change it. God says, I love you with agape love, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I can rebel against you. Go ahead. I'll love every rebellious bone in your body. Well, I can run away from you. Go ahead. Run as far as hell, and you'll find me in hell, loving you in hell. Psalms 139. Well, I'm going to ignore you. Ignore me. Run from me. 
do whatever you think you can do to stop me, but you can't stop me from loving you. The lavish, which is the, the word used here, the lavish love of God means this. Would you take down this definition? Because when John says, the love of God, the love of the Father, the agape love, the love of the will, the love of a God who's coming to you in spite of yourself, beyond yourself, it's the lavish love of God towards you. What is it? It's extravagant. It, it is absolutely extravagant, unrestrained. It's a love that is excessive. It, it doesn't seem right, doesn't seem normal, because it's not. It's a love of God. Now John's going to deal with some subjects here that you better get a hold of this one first. Love that holds back nothing. God holds back nothing from you. Well, you know, if I would just do better... I think God would do better for me. That's a lie. That's a lie. No, if I, would, if I would pray more, I think God would answer my prayers. How much more? 10 minutes more? 10 hours more? 10 years more? 50 years more? How much more? Before God will finally say, I'll answer that prayer. You've earned it. If I would just fast more, how much would you have to fast? To earn a breakthrough with God, how much? How much would you have to fast? And then if you don't get a breakthrough, do you shake your fist at God? Do you then blame God and say, I did this, I served you, I sacrificed for you, I did everything for you, I gave up people for you, I gave up money for you, I gave up and I did and I sacrificed and I committed, and what did I get out of it? I got nothing out of it. I don't think you really love me because I do all these things and you still don't seem to show up. It's that misunderstanding that causes a huge Bitterness in the heart of people. A misunderstanding that somehow if they could just do a little more, God would finally accept them. Or God would finally favor them. Has it ever been in your mind? You think about it. Has it ever been in your mind that when you saw someone else blessed and you said to yourself, but you know, they really deserve it. You know, they're such great people. He really deserves a wife like that. She deserves a husband like that. They deserve a job and a raise and a home and a, and a, and a car and a, and a this and a that and a favor and a blessing and, and friend because they're just awesome people. I mean, they're like Mother Teresa's. They just do so much for the kingdom of God and for people. They deserve it. If God sets you down next to the person that you think is the most deserving person in your life, God would look at the two of you and say, I love you both the same. And I will favor both of you the same. And I will love you into your future the same. And there's nothing you can do to stop me favoring you. There's nothing you can do to stop me loving you. I love you in spite of your emotion, in spite of your unbelief, in spite of your hardness, in spite of whatever you do. I love you the same today as I will through all eternity. You can't comprehend that. Can't comprehend it. Well, Frank, does that mean I can do whatever I want? That's why John's going to say... Uh, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. Then he makes a statement. Can you even live with this? 
Whoever abides in him does not sin. Hold it. Stop. Wait a minute. It can't say that. I abide in him. But I have a problem. I sin. And you know what? I know I'm speaking to a bunch of sinners. You sin. You sin every day. You sin when no one can even see how you sin. Some of you are very sinful. Come on, how many of you have sinned this week? <laughs> how many of you have sinned today? How many of you can't wait to leave here so you can sin? That's bad. Now there's sin of commission, sin of omission. There's sin of the heart, sin of the action. There's sin of the mind, the thought, and the deed. There's all kinds of levels of sin. Jesus said, if you think it in your heart, I don't like it when Jesus says, if you think about adultery in your heart, you've already done it. Ah, that can't be true. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. I have not. Well, the scripture will argue with you. And the scripture simply says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Well, I abide. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. That's not true. I know him. And I, and I, I see him by faith. I, come on, John, don't play hardball on me like this. That can't be true. Little children, let no one deceive you. Hmm. I think he's talking to me. He who practices righteous, righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Then he throws this one at you. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. Come on, John. That's, that's, that's taking a... You're the apostle of love. And here you are telling me I'm of the devil. Turn to your neighbor and say, no, don't, you better not say that. <laughs> but can you imagine the pastor getting up and saying... Everyone who has committed sin this week, your father is the devil. You are of the devil. You live like the devil. You act like the devil because the devil is in you and you know not Jesus. Can we stand and sing a hymn now? <laughs> and how would you feel? Well, John says it. What does he mean? He who sins of the devil for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. He might destroy the works of the devil. Then in verse 9 is another clanger. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Can't be. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. I've been born of God. I'm born again. I know I'm born again. I know I believe. I know that I know Jesus. But I'm not fulfilling what John is saying. That's why John starts with this. Pay attention. Get the foundation right, because if you understand the love of God, you will not continue in sin or practicing unrighteousness because you understand the love of God, and you understand that God loved you in every stage that you are. And so John begins to unfold this doctrine, which is borderline. Any kind of a great teaching is always borderline. Any kind of a true grace or true love teaching is borderline lasciviousness or borderline a lawless living okay grace message to say greasy grace. It, it always borderlines it. So John is. So he comes back to one side and says, now don't, don't go too far because if you're born of God, you're not going to go this way. 
but you better make sure you understand how God loved you. Now, write these down. Again, I hope you write them in your Bible. Here are the lavish love of God points. One is that love is unconditional, absolute, surprising, inexhaustible, and full of second chances. All right, let's look at those five, or six, or seven. Gee, whoever writes his messages have lots of points. <laughs> love is unconditional, meaning there's no condition that you can present that will cause a person to love you more. Not in the natural, but in theology of love, this is true. Love is absolute. That is, God puts his love in you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. And even if you're one of the hundred sheep, and you're the one that leaves in the 99th day, he'll go after the one. It's absolute. God will always come after the individual. He loves you, even when you drift, you're astray, and you do wrong, or you don't measure up all that. He loves you all the time. That's the point. It's inexhaustible, full of second chances. Love is a healer. Love is crazy generous. Crazy generous. Now, let me tread on some thin theological ice. If I came back from a trip and I said to you, Church, God has spoken to me. You would probably, out of my history of over three decades of walking in integrity and being an upright man, you would say, Pastor Frank, that would be worthy of us to hear because we believe you could hear from God. What did he say? And then I would lean forward and say, okay, this is what God said. Now let's pretend that I was a single pastor at that time or widowed or something, but I'm, I'm, I'm a single man and I'm going to make a statement to you. Say, this is what God has spoke to me. Are you ready, church? Yes, sure, Pastor Frank, what is it? God has told me to go and marry a prostitute who is still living in prostitution. She's not saved. <clears throat> Pastor Frank, you, you need more sleep. <laughs> Pastor Frank, you need a different diet. Or, Pastor Frank, something, a spirit got a hold of you in Hong Kong. Uh, Pastor Frank, there's something wrong with this thinking. Oh, Jesus, 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 our pastor wants to marry a, a prostitute. Can you imagine telling your neighbor, oh, yeah, we go to such and such church. Oh, yeah, we heard about your pastor. He's the one that went down on the red light district and found the prostitute and married her, right? Yeah, that's him. Do you know why? No, but he, he married a prostitute. Book of Hosea. God comes to the prophet. This is in your Bible. I'm not making this up. But this is a point about the love I'm talking about. God comes to Hosea the prophet. You'll find that he's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. His name is Hosea. The book of Hosea, the 13 chapters. You read it and you will get the story. I'm telling you right now. And God says to Hosea, go marry Gomer. Gomer? Gomer down in Diblian? Gomer? Yes, go marry her. No, no. No, no. Uh, I've waited this long. I'm not going to marry Gomer. You're going to marry Gomer because it's a prophetic act. I don't want to marry Gomer. I'm not in love with Gomer. It doesn't matter. I want you to go marry Gomer. Why do you want me to go marry Gomer? Because I am the husband of Israel. Is that right? You are most definitely God. Jehovah, you are 
the husband of Israel. Being a husband of Israel, I've had to watch Israel go up every hill and make love to every idol, chase every lover, every philosophy, forsake me, sin against me, blaspheme my name, and go their way. And I'm going to make a statement to them right now. Hosea says, I'm with you, God. It should be, I mean, we should make the plagues of Egypt look like Disneyland compared to what you're going to do to Israel. Frogs, lice, we should, we should overdo the frog thing. Start with the frog, go to the lice, and then do the darkness thing, but make it a whole year of darkness and, and multiply the frogs. Make them really big frogs this time and, and fill the whole land with lice. Let's go after Israel because they have chased after every lover and they deserve to be judged. I'm with you now, God. We'll, we'll go down and make a case how Gomer had done this. And, and yeah, I can see where you're going. And God says, no, you don't see at all where I'm going. He said, this is, this is not a message of judgment for Israel because I'm not going to judge them. What? what? No. I want you to love Gomer like you would your own wife. I want you to draw her in and pour healing into her heart. I want you to draw her in and tell her that she's the love of your youth. I want you to tell her that she's the fulfillment of your destiny. I want you to tell her that she's the woman created in the image of God and that she has a lot of good in her. You read it yourself. I want you to go to her and I want you to pour into her love and acceptance. I want you to treat her like a covenant woman. I want you to, but God, she's a prostitute. I don't care what she is. I want you to love her the way I I love is beyond what you can do with your love. I love supernaturally. I can love beyond what they've done to me. I love in such a way it's so unconditional. You cannot fathom it. But when Israel does fathom it, they will break their heart. They'll repent of their sin and they'll return to me because love is what causes repentance more than judgment. Come on. When you read Hosea, it is mind-boggling. For me, as a teacher, it's mind-boggling. Come here, prostitute. And then she was still messing around. God says, love her. But God, she's still messing around. You love her. Gomer... Name means perfect failure. She had so failed so consistently that she had perfected failure. She had come to an end. Her name has the idea of bringing something to an end of a cycle. And the end of her cycle, end of her life fruitfulness, is that she had perfected something that was so immoral and so wrong. One of the most known harlots in the country. She had perfected her failure. Her parents' name means corruption. So whether she was abused or whether she was beat, whether she was corrupted as a young child. However, she probably never knew any kind of love like Hosea was going to bring into her life. And the love of Hosea healed, healed the heart of Gomer. Healed it. The love of Hosea caused Gomer to leave all of her lovers and say, I have found one and I will cling to him only. But it was a journey of healing for her. A journey. Let me 
time out right there. Just pause. Our prisons are filled with people that have never known the love of a father. Out of the 17 shootings we had in high schools, Colorado included, the one scarlet thread with the 17 shooters, no relationship, bad relationship to a horrible relationship to their father. There's something that a father gives that no one else can give. Now, if you're a single mother, please don't let me discourage you because you can bring Father God into your home and Father God will become your father and the father of your children and will fulfill something in you that no one else can do supernaturally. That's a fact. But the fact in the natural, without the supernatural, in the natural realm only, what a father brings to the home. In our national studies right now in USA, what the father brings to the home is a feeling of security, protection, acceptance, love, honor, pride, a, a generational connection, something that someone else cannot do. Well, John says, your love that you need is the love of a father who loved you in spite of you, who loved you beyond you, who was already proud of you as you are a child of God. You could do nothing more to prove anything else to him. He loves you every bit whole right now. He right now has already rewarded you and given you everything you need. He right now is right in your destiny. There is nothing that he will not give you. He will reward you openly. He will provide for you. He will be a father to the fatherless. He will take up everything in your life that you need to give him. He knows you have needed something before you ever ask. He is an awesome, unbelievable, amazing father. And when that father spirit comes over you, even though you're missing a natural father, a natural mother, natural upbringing, natural things that have never been put into your life. You know, there's a, there's a website called, um, it, this is not the exact name, but it, it's, it's about people who have never been loved. Now, if you want to cry, break your heart, almost get depressed, if you weren't a believer, you would is you start reading their stories. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Heartbreak after heartbreak. 16-year-old girl writing her story. I've never, ever, maybe you don't believe her, but why would she lie? It's online. I mean, she says, I've never, ever physically had anybody ever tell me I love you in my whole life. My dad abused me. My mom's dead. My family is no more. My life is messed up. Young guys only want to use me for what they can get from my body. I am despicable. I am horrible. There's nothing about me why I should ever love myself or why anyone else should love me or even God himself. That's what she says. Why would God love a despicable person like me? You know, I just want to jump into the computer and go down the wires appear in front of that young girl and say, there is a Father God that loves you totally right now. 
Not, Father God loves your despicable self, your sin, your problems, everything that you have in yourself. There's a Father God that will take you and love that out of you and accept you. You were created in the image of God. You have a purpose. There's someone right now saying to you, I love 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 you. You can hear Father God saying that to you. You can be whole. You can be an awesome person because there's a Father God in heaven that loves you. Loves you. Now, in every service, there's been a lot of people that have said by lifting of hands, I need a healing with my natural self. I'm on a performance treadmill. I'm on a hate emotion. I'm on a comparison. I'm on a... I don't have a relationship with dad. I never did or... I've never had a father. I've never had that in my home. I don't know how to give that. I don't know how to love that way. I, I, I have so many flaws, Frank. I don't know if God really wants to favor me. And it's that thinking that keeps the devil having a heyday in your mind. God loves you. Agape. Right now. And what he wants to bring into your life is healing, wholeness, hope. New beginning, brand new heart, brand new spirit. Person that would be so healed, you will change personality. You will change because when you accept the love of God, you quit doing things that you're not supposed to do, not because you're not supposed to do them. It's because the love of God now has filled the void. So you don't go after that because you don't even want that. You want the Father that loves you so much and God that has accepted you so much and you want to please Him. You want to abide in Him. You want to, you want to draw from Him. You want to learn who He is. That's what breaks the power of sin. It's not the standard only. It's not, the, it's not that me telling you, you can't do, you, you can't do, you can't do, you can't do. I can tell you that and you can try. But the real motor comes out of a whole healed heart of loving God and receiving his love.